I said this to a couple people earlier this week. Um, I've, I've had people ask me before, and I cannot take credit for this joke, but it is true. Um, I have had, and I've used it as the answer to this question ever since I heard it. I've had people ask me before who are from other uh, theological traditions in their background, can Baptists dance? Um, my answer, which I think is the most appropriate answer, is some can, some can't. Um, it's not a question of whether or not we're allowed to. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us we're not allowed to. But you didn't ask whether or not we're allowed to. You asked whether or not we can. Some can, some can't. Uh, There is a common southern proverb about dancing that I know you've heard it before. And it's bad grammar, but it's, it's, it's good wisdom. And that is, dance with the one what brung you. You ever heard this? Anybody ever heard that? Ever heard that? I see some. I see some hands. Y'all, y'all trying to hide the fact. Y'all like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't dance. I'm a good Baptist. I've never heard this. No, uh, dance with the one what brung you. Uh, the idea being, when somebody takes you to the dance, they're the one you dance with. You don't have somebody else take you, and then you be like, hey, thank you. This is a wonderful evening. I'm having fun, but I would rather dance with them than you. So I'm going to leave you over here by the wall, and I'm going to go dance with them. Uh, that's pretty disrespectful, don't you think? So that hints the southern proverb, dance with the one what brung you. You dance with the one who got you there. What this means outside of a, a dancing venue would be you... you Pay respect and you you pay attention to, you stick with what got you where you are. You don't do one thing differently when something else got you there. Uh, So I almost titled this sermon, Dance with the One What Brung You, but I decided not to do that. Uh, because, you know, Lord help, somebody from some other part of the country is going to see this sermon and they're going to read the outline. They're going to be like, I am not listening to this. This guy has no idea what he's talking about. So instead I titled it, What Got You Here? Because this is essentially what Paul is going to ask the Galatians uh, today. So you can turn to the third chapter of Galatians uh, today. And Paul, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Paul's taking the gloves off uh, today. If you think that he has been harsh so far, um, he is about to unload on them. So Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, you can stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the first nine verses of Galatians chapter 3. It reads, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Father, thank you for your word. 
And I pray that if any of us have fallen into the error of the Galatians this morning in altering the truth of the gospel, knowing it but not obeying it, hearing it but not believing it, that you would correct through your spirit that in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you can be seated. What got you here? Or in other words, dance with the one what brung you. These Galatians <clears throat> are the, the people that Paul has been writing this letter to thus far. And the error that they had fallen into, <clears throat> and the error that we can fall into, but even if it's not the specific one, uh, it is an error. So keep in mind that you know they had made a theological mistake and Paul is correcting them for it. The error they had fallen into was they had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ about its grace. Uh, what grace is, what the gospel is, is that through no merit of our own, God is willing to accept us as his children based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, and that we can add to it. Okay, There is nothing that we can add in our lives to the finished work of Jesus Christ that makes it better, that makes it complete, that makes it anything more than what it already is, which is totally and completely sufficient for your salvation. Okay, Jesus has done everything for you. If somebody says they're a Christian, if somebody says they're saved from their sins and they're telling the truth, then they understand that they did not do anything to make that happen. God did that. All they're doing is they are believing in His finished work. That's it. Period. It's all grace. It's all mercy. It is not up to them. <coughs> Excuse me. What the Galatians had done was the Galatians had heard the correct gospel. They had been taught the correct gospel. And they started out believing the correct gospel. But somewhere along the way... They had laid that aside and they had fallen into the trap of believing that God started this process. But if it's going to keep going, we have to keep it up. We've got to work for it. One, they, they viewed it as a process. They, they started to view salvation as a process, not a finished work. They completely blew up the gospel when they did that. They were no longer believing the gospel as given by the Lord Jesus Christ and taught them by Paul. They had completely departed into something else. And Paul is writing this letter to correct that misunderstanding. So listen to what Paul says in these nine verses. And I just want to caution you to beware uh, uh, two dangers this morning. Uh, first... In verses 1 through 4, I want you to beware demonic doctrinal deception. I tried to fit as many D words into that first one as I could. Not really. Uh, but I want you to beware demonic doctrinal deception. Now listen, I, I'm going to give a disclaimer here. And this is not so much an apology as it is an encouragement. Uh, how many people do you know that will openly tell you that they believe in heaven and or angels? Raise your hand if you know somebody who will enthusiastically. I know most of us do. But think about folks outside the church in general. If you know somebody who does not necessarily identify as a Christian by, by regularly attending church or even calling themselves, but they're perfectly willing to tell you they believe in heaven and angels. Raise your hand. You ever met somebody like that? That they will talk about heaven, they will talk about angels, 
they will talk about going somewhere better. They're not necessarily an identifying Christian, but they'll, they'll talk to you about that. Now, how many of those same people will openly talk about belief in hell and demons? Doesn't usually work out that way. People are really willing to talk about heaven and they're willing to talk about angels. They're not willing to talk about hell and they're not willing to talk about demons. For some reason, it is logically consistent to some folks to believe in heaven and believe in angels but not believe in hell or believe in demons. Okay? Uh, Angels and demons were created at the same time. Demons just went bad. Okay? there, There is no tangible difference between an angel and a demon other than where their allegiance lies. They're the same type of creature. Okay? Demons are... If angels are real, demons are real. Okay? I am not a charismaniac. You understand what I mean when I say that? I am not a name it and claim it slap you on the forehead, say the name of Jesus and expect you to fall over kind of preacher. Okay? I, I, I am not that way. Um, I know dear people who love the Lord Jesus Christ who have some doctrinal differences with me that I, I just cannot go along with. I'm not saying if you know somebody who, who is a more charismatic type believer that they don't know and love the Lord. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that's not me. Okay, I would have disagreements with them. I'm not necessarily questioning their salvation. I'm questioning some of their other doctrine. Okay, I'm not trying to bash them. They would have differences with me too. But I say this to tell you, I'm not the kind of pastor who walks outside and sees a demon behind every tree and behind every bush. Okay? That's, that's, I'm not all about that. But listen to me. Demons are real. Demons are just as real as this can of soda that I'm about to take a sip out of because I'm not feeling all that well and y'all are going to have to let me drink something. Demons are just as real as this can of soda, okay? You, you might not be able to touch them, but y'all, I promise they're real. And, and if you say, well, you, you crazy, okay, well then you better chuck out angels and heaven and hell and the rest of the spiritual realm too if you're not willing to believe in demons. Demons are real. Hell is real. Spiritual warfare is real. And if you are a Christian, you have experienced it, even though you may not know you have There is a war going on in a world that we cannot see yet. I say that because of what Paul says to the Galatians in verse 1. Listen to it. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? This word bewitched is only used one time in the New Testament and it's used right here. This word... Paul uses to get across the point to the Galatians. Listen to what he says. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? The word foolish can be translated unintelligent. It's a combination of two Greek words. It's the prefix a, which means without, and the word noetos, which means uh, understanding. So a noetos is without understanding. In other words, foolish. He asked, who has bewitched you? And 
Then he says, the gospel was so, the truth was so clearly portrayed before you. The word in Greek is written before. What Paul is saying is, I preached the gospel so clearly to you that it could not have been clearer if I jumped into 2018, grabbed a whiteboard, brought it back to you, and wrote the gospel in giant letters in front of you. I explained it so it could not have been clearer. I spelled it out for you letter by letter, word by word. There is no logical human reason that you could mistake what I said to you to begin with for what you believe now. Someone has to have deceived you. The word bewitched doesn't just mean regular deception. It means enchanted. It means supernatural involvement. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is telling the Galatians, I hope you understand that whatever it was that convinced you of this doctrine that you're now believing is demonic and supernatural in nature. Not as boring of a verse anymore, is it? Guess what? You're not just confused, Galatians. You're in the middle of a spiritual war for your very souls. And the demon's weapon of choice is to confuse you about your standing with God through the gospel. That's his weapon of choice. It's not sickness. It's not finances. It's not warfare. It's not any of that. It's theology. It's doctrine. It's what you believe. <laughs> then Paul asks in verses 2 and 3. I got it on my screen, but I prefer to read it at my book if that's okay. Verses 2 and 3 says, This only I want to learn from you. I got one question, Galatians. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Here's the error. Here's what the demons were attempting to deceive the Galatians into believing. They were attempting to deceive the Galatians into believing that their standing with God and their reception of God's gifts were contingent on whether or not they kept the rules really well. They were laying aside the crucifixion of Christ as kind of a passing, uh, passing attraction that, oh yeah, okay, yeah. So the, the cross is how we get started with this Christianity thing. But after we get to the cross and, you know, the whole, you know, I've been forgiven thing. Yay, I'm forgiven. Cool, I'm a Christian now. After that, all of your spiritual benefit is totally tied to whether or not you keep the law. Whether or not you keep the rules. Yeah, you, you start the Christian journey at the cross, but you continue the Christian journey walking around Sinai. That's what they had been fooled into believing. So <clears throat> Paul says, didn't you see Jesus crucified before you clearly portrayed? And yet somehow or another, now you believe that the spirit you receive, you receive because you keep the law, you keep the rules. You think that Jesus' crucifixion did accomplish that little for you? Paul's flabbergasted. And he goes so far as to say, 
Why did you receive the Holy Spirit? When did you receive it? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you started doing stuff? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed that Christ had done stuff? There's a big difference. Then he says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Starting out in grace was great. But have you laid that grace aside and now you think that your progression in your relationship with God is based on how hard you try or how good you are according to some list? This is all about relationship with God. This is all about what is the basis for your relationship with God. Paul had taught them that Christ has established this relationship for you. That bond is forged through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and it is unseverable. Y'all, I will go to my grave believing that once I'm saved, I'm always saved. Period. Fight me. (laughs) I will open my Bible and I will... It is passages like this that convince me beyond a shadow of a doubt. Christ won this victory for me. It is not up to me. But these Galatians said, well, no, I understand that Jesus died, died for my sins at the cross, but I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, or God is not going to be pleased with me. God's not going to be happy. God's going to punish me. No, all of your punishment took place at the cross. God does not just love you. He also likes you. God has separated your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. That happened at Calvary. Your sin is gone. Vamoose. Adios. It's not there anymore. Not in God's court of law, it's not. Now you can look in the mirror and you can say, yeah, I still, I I screw up quite regularly as a person. And you know what? That's true. All of us do. But when God looks at you from heaven and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know what he sees? He sees the blood of his son. He sees Jesus' righteousness just all over you, and He sees your sin as dead on Calvary 2,000 years ago. If you've trusted Christ, that's what He sees. That's what His relationship with you is based on. And these Galatians had somehow gotten away from that. And then Paul asks the scariest question in verse 4. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? What Paul is asking when he asks this question, he says, tell me this. Have you believed this from the beginning? What you believe now? That Jesus gets you started, but you take care of the rest. Have you believed this from the beginning? Because if you have believed that from the beginning, that Jesus is the starting point, and you are the rest of it, then you were never saved in the first place and all the work that I did was in vain because you never got the gospel. If that's your Christianity today and you think, okay, yeah, I got started at the cross, but I've got to take care of the rest of it. Y'all, you're not saved. It's not just a mistake. It's, you know, it, your belief is vanity. 
It, it does you no good. Say, well, Josh, that's not, that, that doesn't sound right. Are you, you telling me there's nothing I have to do to be saved? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. All you have to do is believe. You say, oh, well, you told me I didn't have to do anything. Y'all listen, there's a difference between doing something and believing something. And when I say believe, I don't mean, you know, do you believe in Jesus like children believe in laws? That's not the kind of belief I'm talking about. I'm saying, do you believe in Jesus like a person believes in a fire alarm when they hear it? A person who believes in a fire alarm when they hear it is going to run out of the building. Why? Because a fire alarm signals that there's danger. There's a difference between a person who knows the fire, believes the fire alarm is there and a person who believes what the fire alarm is telling them. If you believe what the fire alarm is telling you, you will run out and that will save your life. If you believe the fire alarm is there but you do not listen to what it says, then you'll, you'll die in the fire. When I say that you believe in Jesus... I'm saying, do you believe in Jesus like the person who believes what the fire alarm says? Do you believe in Jesus to the degree that you would listen to what he had to say, that you would trust in his finished work on the cross, and that would be enough for you? And at that point, I promise you, Jesus will take care. The Holy Spirit will take care of the way you live your life. He'll, he'll do that. That's not something that you're going to have to... You're not going to lose sleep over that. Now, you're going to struggle occasionally, but... that. Your relationship with God is not banking on that. Paul says if you think that you're going to work yourself into a relationship with God, you've totally missed it and you've misunderstood the gospel from the beginning. It was in vain. So how am I going to apply this? <clears throat> if you have fallen into the same error as the Galatians, you've already got your application. Stop being what they were. Stop trying to earn God's Favor. You can't do it. He's already purchased his favor for you in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But I want you to hear your pastor out. <clears throat> okay? Um, th this is where I knew this was going to go. See, yeah, I, this was one of those sermons where I, I thought I had my outline down correctly. And my personal prayer time totally changed it. I've known since about midweek it was going to go this way, and I've wondered the reception, and I've wondered what God is doing here. I do not think the biggest problem in our church, in our town, in our county is the error of the Galatians. I don't think that's the biggest issue. Now, it's always going to rear its head. Legalism is natural. I do not think that's our biggest issue. I think we do share one issue with the Galatians. I think we share the issue of demonic attack with the Galatians. But I think they're using a different strategy in Stapleton, in, in Jefferson County. Whereas the demonic strategy in Galatia <coughs> was to attack by telling them you gotta work, you gotta do, you gotta do, you gotta do, you gotta do, you gotta do. I honestly believe that de the demonic attack around these parts is the total opposite. Don't waste your time with that. Don't get up. Don't go. That's that's too much. That's too much work. 
They're just, they just want you to do, they just want you to do stuff all the time. They just want you to give. You have so many other things you could spend your time on. You could go here, you could see this, you could do that. They're just going they're, they're just gonna sing those songs and he's just gonna get up there and talk and you're not gonna get anything out of it. Why don't you just stay at the house? Why don't you just go visit some friends? Why don't you just go do that? Why don't you go do that? You'll have plenty of time to go to church next week if you want to. You'll have plenty of time to read your Bible tomorrow. You'll have plenty of time. Just pray when you need it. Y'all, I am wholeheartedly convinced. Call me crazy if you want to. I'm not. I'm not even going to say I, I think I don't think I am. I'm just going to say I'm not crazy. I'm 100% convinced that there is a demonic attack happening, especially in this region around here, of apathy. Apathy. Don't answer if you don't want to, but how many of you since I've been here have asked me a question akin to, I don't understand why people around here don't care? Has anybody said that to me since I've got here? I know there are more of you that are raising your hands. I don't understand why people around here don't care. Well, Paul couldn't understand why people in Galatia so misunderstood the gospel that they thought they had to work for it. I think the explanation for each is the same. We are just as likely to be demonically attacked as Galatia was, and the attack may not look the same, but that does not make it any less real. And listen to this. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. This is on your handout. Just to prove I'm not making this up. Now the Spirit expressly says in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Do you know why some people can be totally oblivious to the things of God and it just not even bother them? Because their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. That they have believed lies, they have believed hypocrisy, and they have given heed to deception and doctrines of demons. You don't need to be there. You don't need to listen to that. You don't need to, this. That's a waste of time. They're just a bunch of old goody two shoes that are going to get together and pat each other on the back about how good they are. Has today, has today sounded at all like we're patting each other on the back about how good we are? No, absolutely not. Your pastor standing up here telling everybody how bad all of us are and how much we need the blood of Jesus Christ. And yet, do you know how many people out in Jefferson County think that that's what goes on in a church is that people get together and talk about how, how good we are to each other? That church is where the righteous people go? No, church is where the people who are very aware of how unrighteous we are go to be thankful to God for dying for us so that we could be with Him. Deception and doctrines of demons. <clears throat> this weird belief that somehow or another, 
Someone can believe that they are okay with God when there is no evidence of a relationship with Him in their life. I know it's a worn out analogy, but how many folks have you ever met that could say, you know, how well do you think it would go over with your pastor if one of you came up to me and said, hey, Josh, you know what? I love you. You're awesome. And I would be like, well, thank you. That makes me feel good. I love you. You're awesome. I just cannot stand your wife. She gets on my nerves. She makes me uncomfortable when she talks. I just don't like being around her. And if I could just, just be friends with you, if you would just leave her out of it, and it could just be me and you, we could be buddies. Do you think that would go over well with me? Absolutely not. So why in the world can people believe that they can have Christ but not His bride? Church is the bride of Christ, right? So why? Well, I, I love God. I just, I'm not all about that organized religion. You mean the church, the body that He died for? I don't understand. It's like Paul. Who has bewitched people so that they could believe... In this easy believism mess. That all oh, me and the man upstairs, we got it all worked out. John 14, 23 and 24. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, If you keep my words, I'll love you. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do this. When somebody tells you they have a relationship with God, or they love the Lord, or they're a Christian, and there is no discernible evidence of that relationship in their life, the most loving thing you can do is challenge them. It's to say, you know, it, it's good to hear that you kind of, you, you're leaning that way, but something's bothering me. You're telling me that you love Jesus, but you're one of the 80 people on our church roll that I haven't seen at church in five years. Why are you not coming? Is there something wrong? You know, it's okay to expect an answer. If a demonic attack is apathy, you know what the appropriate Christian response to that is? Fervor. It's okay. Y'all, the gospel makes people uncomfortable. Always has. The Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all, if there's ever going to be revival, y'all, we don't put revival on a calendar. You don't schedule it. It happens whenever God starts moving in a church's heart. It happens when God starts moving in the hearts of a community. And when people are bound up in apathy and not caring and just spiritual sloth 
The cure for that is to pray for God to give you a a dose of fervor so that you would go after them and say, no, I'm not going to accept you dying and busting hell wide open because you bought into this deception that you were okay with God when there was no evidence in your life that that relationship was really there. Put your relationship with somebody on the line. Challenge them on it. Beware demonic doctrinal deception. And then second, beware personal delusion. Look at verse verse 5, rather. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Look where Paul says, he who supplies the Spirit and he who works miracles among you. Who's the one doing these things? It's God. God is supplying the Spirit and God is working the miracles among them. Paul's point is, okay, for all of your works of the law, what do you have to show for it? Nothing. You're not the one doing these things. Who's the one giving the Spirit to people? That's God. Who's the one working the miracles? That's God. See, the Galatians had begun to turn inward. They had begun to look at themselves, and they had begun to look at their faith as dependent on them. And Paul's pointing out, hey, how much of this is actually something you did? How many of y'all are familiar with the name Johnny Hunt? He's a pastor at First Baptist Woodstock. Y'all listen, if you're not familiar with Johnny Hunt, you need to go home and listen to that man. You think I'm crazy. <laughs> and I, I love that guy. I really do. He was preaching in chapel at my seminary one time. And he was telling us, get away from me, fly. Um, He's preaching in in chapel at my seminary one time. And he was telling a story. Some of these guys, and he said, listen up, preacher boys. And that kind of makes your ears perk up. And you're like, oh, goodness. You know, when a guy who's got a a church with 10,000 people in it says, listen to me, preacher boys, you kind of perk your ears up. Because this guy probably knows what he's talking about. He said, listen up, preacher boys. He said, uh. You know, I've been a pastor at a church of just about every size you can imagine. I've been a pastor at a church with 20, 30 people. I've been a pastor at a church with 15,000. And just about everywhere in between. And folks ask me all the time, Johnny, how did you do it? First Baptist Woodstock, by the way, wasn't always as big as it is now. Johnny, how did you do it? And he said, you know what my honest answer is? I have no idea. He said, the number of things that God did in my ministry that I have no explanation for, the stuff that happened, things just falling in my lap. Things working that probably shouldn't have worked. And then he said something that I will never forget for the rest of the days of my life. He said, Preachers, if you can explain everything that happens in your ministry, I pity you. Because that means that you are the source of your ministry and God is not. And I just kind of sat back in my chair and I went, huh. Those are wise words. But you know what? That's not just true for preachers. That's true for you too. 
In your Christian experience, you are going to have things that happen in your life that are moves of God that you simply cannot explain, you cannot predict, and you you did not make happen. That occasionally God does things in the life of a Christian that you know good and well has to be an act of God because you did nothing to precipitate it. You couldn't have planned it. And that's exactly what Paul is getting at when he says to them, who supplies the Spirit? Who works miracles? Is it you or is it God? It's God. And then he references uh, back to someone that would be that is still to this day revered in just about every major world religion, or at least all the big three, Abraham. Look at verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. <clears throat> Abraham, if you go back to Genesis 12. This is not on your handout, but you can make a note if you want to. If you go back to Genesis 12 when God calls Abraham, do you know what Abraham did to precipitate God calling him? Nothing. Abraham did not do a single thing that separated him out to God. For all we know, it's like God took his divine finger and went, okay, I'm going, I'm going to do this. There's a map full of people. I'm going to go, all right, Abraham, er, let's go with that guy. It just appears completely random. Now, I know it's not because it's God. But Scripture makes perfectly clear. God did not bless Abraham with this because he had done something special. God blessed Abraham because God wanted to bless Abraham. And he's God and he can do what he wants. What made Abraham righteous? Was it how hard he worked or all the things he did? No, it was that he believed God when God spoke to him. It was faith. So that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So all of the blessings, by the way, from Genesis 12 on to the rest of the Bible, all the way to the end of Revelation, the rest of the Bible after Genesis 12 is God keeping the promises that he made to Abraham and his descendants. That's the whole rest of the story of the Bible. You can forget that sometimes because it kind of vanishes in the narrative, but that's the story. The whole rest of the Bible is God keeping the promises he made to Abraham. And in those promises are the blessings... That we as Christians receive. God promised Abraham three things. A promised land, descendants, and blessing. Do Christians have a promised land? Yes, we do. It's not in the Middle East. It's this whole earth. When God recreates creation and makes everything right that has gone wrong, we are promised that new land. What about descendants? Did God promise Abraham descendants? Yes. Who are they? You can sing the song with me. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's. And yeah, okay. So you know the song. You see, yeah, you can giggle. It's fine. It's funny. Do you know? Do you know why we teach kids that song? Because it's good theology. If you have placed your faith in Christ, guess what? You are a descendant of Abraham, are part of that blessing, and entitled to Abraham's blessings. The land is yours.
How about blessing? Yes, we have received all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All of the promises of Christianity are to Abraham's descendants. And what does Paul say here? Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. If Abraham didn't receive his blessings because of works, then you are not going to receive your blessings because of works. If Abraham received his blessings because of faith, you will receive Abraham's blessings because of faith. Verse 8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. That's us. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. If you want all the blessings of God's promises, you do not get them through works. You get them through faith. So if no less than Abraham was declared righteousness, was declared righteous because of faith, then where did the Galatians get off thinking they would be declared righteous because of their works? Doesn't work. But 